while you thank God for Florida, right? <laughs> Where it's not snowing. Amen. Uh, if you will, take your Bibles and let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And as you're turning there to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we're literally going to read just one verse here in the passage. And then uh, I just want to tell you what the Lord has laid on my heart to, to, uh, to try to preach this morning and try to explain to you the direction and hopefully what He will do and show you some things. And uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I'm going to read verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 9 <clears throat> says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And those first three words of God is faithful is, Lord willing, what we're going to be focusing on this morning. But we're going to be, hopefully, I'm going to be using the, the phrase uh, found throughout the Bible, and it's the two simple words of, but God. And you look at that thing, and, and you look at how the Lord just did something in spite of, you and I. And like He always just does something unexpected when you see things going in a direction, the Lord just steps in. And I'm going to try to, with the Lord's help and uh, some crowd participation for support, And because it's always better when you act like you're alive. Amen, amen. I'm just being funny and humorous, just try to lighten it up a little bit because that's just what I do. And if you don't like that, just smile and nod, right? Just uh, We know. And, but the whole point of that is to just remind you of how God's been faithful to you. And so, if you will, take your Bibles and turn to, turn to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. And as we start going this morning, before we start going this morning, uh, Sheriff, would you mind opening us up in prayer, please? Amen. We sure do love you. We sure are looking forward to hearing from you. We are very thankful. We are very grateful for everything you've done for us. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 So here in Ephesians chapter two, we're gonna we're gonna start in verse two and read that thing down, but I wanna I wanna qualify it's gonna be kind of simple today. Right? Almost on the verge of milky to begin with, but I wanna lay a firm foundation of the understanding of what the Lord's done and His faithfulness throughout your life. And so we're going to start at salvation, and we're just going to walk down through that thing of our life and the Christian life. And it doesn't matter if you've only been saved a day, ten years, or you know if you're on the verge of stepping over and you're, you're 110. I want to just show you that every point of the life, of your Christian life, of born, being born again, that the Lord has been faithful. And you say, well, I'm not that old in here. Uh, well, I want to remind you that He is going to be faithful. And the points of your life that you already can see and that you can testify, that you can look at, that God Almighty has been faithful, that He will be faithful. Because obviously it would be great if we never had to go through any more problems or any more sorrows or any more pains. 
physically, emotionally, spiritually. It would be wonderful. But that means you'd be in heaven. And you'd, ha- you'd no longer have any time down here on earth to give God glory and still combat this old flesh. So here in Ephesians chapter 2, we're just going to look at how the Lord God Almighty was faithful in salvation. Verse 2 of Ephesians chapter 2 says, "...wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even by others." And that's the perfect picture of a lost person. And that's the perfect picture of you. of When you were in your fallen state, in your lost condition, whether you're six years old or whether you were 22 or whatever the age was when you got saved. That was your condition that you were lost without help, without hope, alienated from God and the wrath of God already abided on you. And you think about that thing because oftentimes we often forget what the Lord brought us from. And the Lord, he, he has an interesting way of always wanting you to go back to that first work, to those first works of just loving Him. I, we were, I was just talking to a sister outside and she was making a comment. She said, I just want to love the Lord Jesus Christ a little bit more. And you think about that thing and you think about the Bible knowledge that you have and the preaching and teaching that you have and that salvation of what He gave you and all those things to just culminate of His faithfulness and how we should just want to and desire to love Him just a little bit more. Just to love Him just a little bit more. And in those conditions of verse 2 and 3 right there, you, could, you should have been able to see yourself and who you were and what you were and how the Lord specifically saw you. You know, when I, before I got saved, I was 22, I thought I was a pretty decent fellow. I didn't hurt people intentionally. Intentionally. Uh, I didn't set out that morning to go do something malicious. You know, I just paid my bills as I had money. And I just worked a job and I just wanted to do a, be a good employee and make a living and have a house. And, you know, the aspirations of a lost individual. I just wanted to do those things. I didn't, I didn't see myself as a, quote, bad guy. That's how I didn't see it, but I knew I was because I just the way that I lived. But that's how the Lord saw me. Now, see, you have to have this, you have to have this view that you're not some pharisaical individual that you didn't need anything, that you didn't need help, that you didn't need saving, that you didn't need a Savior. Because look in verse 4 of of chapter 2 and 2 and 3 in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2 and 3, it tells you, it tells you, it tells you how God saw you. You were a child of wrath, a child of disobedience. And then verse 4 steps in, it says, But God, who was rich in mercy, for His great love wherein He loved us. And I think about that thing, I think about in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says, But God... Of course, I can't quote it. I've been quoting it up for the last week, trying to make sure I'd have it situated. And you Praise the Lord, the mind doesn't work sometimes. Amen. But God commended His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And I think about that thing. I already knew, I don't know what it was. Over there in Jude, it says that some are saved by fire and some by compassion. And I don't know what it was, the thing that got you 
to the realization of what the Lord Jesus Christ did for you. I don't know if it was, preacher makes the comment at seven years old that he didn't want to go to a devil's hell. My son made the comment that he just didn't want to go to hell when he got saved. And I think about, but I, I, me personally, I think about sitting in that pew that morning, it was the love of God that he showed toward me because I didn't even love myself, much less could understand why somebody else loved me. Now, if you didn't ever see that aspect, if you didn't see yourself, it would be hard to understand that. Does that make sense? But here in the verse it says, but God who is rich in mercy for His great love, wherein I, I wish it would said He loved me. But He loved us. And He was willing to die for us on Calvary's cross. And you think about what the Lord Jesus Christ did in that garden, in those years, uh, leading all the way up to that, He was always faithful in doing what the Father wanted Him to do, regardless of the cost. Now, that is easy for me to say, because I've never, I've never shed blood against trying to strive against sin. I've never had to allow my son to die in somebody else's place. And so I look at that of what real love is. Because it's easy for me to say that I love someone. Right? I will say, I love you today. Amen. Yeah, but the proof is we in the pudding at the judgment seat of Christ. Of how I lived my life in prayer for you, or trying to encourage you, or trying to exhort you, or trying to show you in the reproof where you might be living in such a way and condemnation and judgment could be coming at the judgment seat of Christ. That's what real love is. And the Lord... Jesus Christ showed that real love in always doing what the Father asked, whether it hurt or it didn't. Now to begin with, I want to show you how God was faithful. And at toward the end of it, in the last 15 or so, 20 minutes, it will become a much more imaginable thing of what the Lord can do and is doing personally and presently. Now this has probably happened in the past. For me, I was 22 when I got saved. And I was talking to a gentleman this week. Uh, he was in his early 80s still working, and he got saved when he was 10. And he remembers, he remembers everything about it. Remember where he was and all those different aspects. And I think about it, but it's because it's good to remember what the Lord has done for you. Because situations and circumstances often cloud what He's trying to do. Does that make sense? So here in Ephesians chapter 2, we see salvation's simple. Look in 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Now we'll qualify this, that this is not an exhaustive study of what the Lord has doing or will do, and even using these uh, the phrase of but God aspect. Even using this phrase, there's so many, so many times that the thing shows up. You know at salvation, you know you were put into a body. And I think about that thing. I look around this room. I was thinking about it. I was thinking about it when I was praying and trying the Lord having me put this thing together. And I was looking in my mind through all the people that were be sitting here. And most of you look pretty nice. That's kind of funny. There's the one or two, you know. That's, I'm being silly there. But we come to a church and we're in a body and it looks like we all fit together. Right? We all have the same type of apparel on, but this is not everybody in the body of Christ. You have the people that don't look like they fit anywhere. You have the people due to their past or their culture or how they view themselves, they don't fit in society 
much less they don't feel comfortable in a church building. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I remember the first time I walked in the doors of a church on some crutches, I thought, this is not where I belong. Like, I don't belong here. I don't thank God they're taking me to lunch afterwards. I wouldn't be here because I just felt uncomfortable. I didn't, that's not a place where I fit. I fit out there in the world back then, and I fit in on a construction site, and I fit in that setting. And now, I'm, I work in that setting, but that's not where I fit. Here in 1 Corinthians 15, here in 1 Corinthians 15, it's, I, love how, I love how it doesn't matter how you see yourself. If you see yourself as some person who's dejected or downtrodden or downcast or not deserving or any accolades, because it's easy to get down on self. Amen. And you don't feel like you fit somewhere. But look in verse 38. 1 Corinthians 15, 38. But God, give it of the body, as it hath pleased Him, and to every seed His own body. Now, we could go on and read the context there, but I'm going to let you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 while we're doing so. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he talks of his body as being the physical body, his, uh, the church, the universal church of being his body, where everything fits together perfectly. You put ten people in a room from different backgrounds and different cultures and different precepts of their, their mental faculties and how they see things of experience versus age versus reality. And they all, they could have a, a tendency to clash, right? But once it's based upon the Lord Jesus Christ, all those differences just melt away and you become unified. And I think about that I've been in different countries and sitting at different places in different cultures and, and even having difficulties based upon the culture. Not understanding because I'm American and everybody should think like I think. And they're not American and so everybody should think like they think. And so we're having a conversation and the conversation has to turn toward the Lord Jesus Christ because if not, we'll have conflict. But in the Lord Jesus Christ, there was unity in all the cultural boundaries and traditions of men that we try to make God of none effect. They all just melted away and then there was no issue. And I love how we can come in here as a body fitly joined together. Regardless who wants to be the head or who wants to be the hand or who wants to be the little right toe. Who wants to be the little right toe on a foot? They're just aggravating, right? They're just, they're just good to cause pain when you stub that joker. Amen? Right, Brother Jerry? I mean, it's just useless. That's what it seems like. I've never went without a little toe. But it just seems like it's not out of place, not out of sorts. It's not that it doesn't belong, but it just seems like what's the point of it being there? Amen? You have not thought that? <laughs> You've not looked at your, your faculties and thought, that, this, this doesn't make any sense. Why do we have nose hair? My daughter asked me that the other day, and she was like, why do you have hair in your nose? I was like, I guess because I'm getting old. I don't know what the answer to that question is. I'm not sure. God put it there, so please don't touch it. <laughs> and you think, but it's there for a reason. And I don't, I'm not looking for the reason. 
<laughs> but it's there for a reason how because God intended it to be so. Who in the body of Christ wanted to be a nose hair? Amen. I'd much rather be a pinky toe. That makes way better niceties. But you think about that thing here, here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and look in verse 21. And he go, he's going through this dissertation of how the body's supposed to act within each other, and if there's no schisms or isms. In verse 21 it says, And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee. Nor, again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you, nay, much more than those members of the body which seem more feeble. Those last two words. They're necessary. They're necessary. Verse 23, And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable. Now, we're not talking about the physical body now. We're talking about the body of Christ. Upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. And you think about that thing, you think when you come to a church and you come to a place and, and you say, well, I'm nobody. Or you think to yourself, I'm nobody. I don't, I don't add any benefit to this church or this organism. I, don't, I, I can't see how I'm worth anything. Well, according to the Bible... The Lord God Almighty says that that person has a more abundant honor should be given to them. Not necessarily the, the position of standing behind the pulpit or the usher or the, the deacon or the trustee, but it's the person that seems so insignificant. You know that woman that was just casted in those two mites, right, that the Lord Jesus Christ saw and He said that she gave more than everybody else? I don't know who's here this morning as far as what it costs you actually to be here. I'm not talking about monetarily. I'm not talking about what car you, you drove in on. I'm talking about what it actually cost you to come to church this morning. And what it actually cost you to be in the body of Christ. And what it cost you emotionally and spiritually just to try to come and hear some preaching. There'll be somebody within these confines of this voice that it cost them all they had this morning. Just to be like, I just know what I need, not what I feel like. And they go and they hear and thank God for the hearing. And we'll move on to the next point here from salvation to the members to thank God for a church to have. You know, thank God a place that the Lord gave. You don't have to, you don't have to turn there over there and over there in Exodus 21, 13, it's talking about some cities of refuge and it's been preached before. Nothing, again, nothing new is going to be said this morning. I'm not trying to do that. I'm trying to just encourage you to remind you of how God faithful, how faithful God has been in the little things in your life. He was faithful enough to put you into a body that you didn't seem like you fit at the time. You, you ever think, I think about my children... I think I have to because they're always there. And I think about them that sometimes, you know, they get clumsy, right? God, I hope they grow out of that. And they just step on each other's toes and feet and they're running to the walls and they're just, they're just being kids. I hope that's normal. That's how my kids are. And they're just not very coordinated. My son can't throw a ball worth nothing and it's just so encouraging. <laughs> and so, 
And I think about that, that Lord willing, one day He'll grow into those things. Like He'll just continue to grow, hopefully, and He'll continue to get bigger and physically and emotionally and, and spiritually in the same aspect that we, we grow into that body part that the Lord has us in. And I know we speak, we speak physically of massive members, but ultimately we're the, probably the, the small, itty-bitty uh, neurons or, or organisms or cells or something in the body, but even they have to work correctly for the body to function. And hopefully one day if you'll grow into that position the Lord's put you in. Because He was faithful to put you in that body. When you're young, you have all this zeal to do something for the Lord. Right? You'll go witness to a fence post or you'll tell a fence post that it's going to burn in hell or tell them about the love of Christ or some turtle or some goat or something on the back where anywhere. Amen. The bumper of a vehicle, you can see your reflection in it. And, uh, but eventually time wears on and life wears on and you get where you don't do that anymore. Not because you're sophisticated. Not because you don't love the Lord. If you didn't love the Lord, you wouldn't be here this morning. Routine duty only takes you so far. But eventually, you've grown past that point in that body. And you're like, maybe I'm, that's for a younger person to do. You know, my hair, it changes colors after a while. Anybody here can attest? Amen. Yeah. <laughs> and you think about that thing, it's still there, it's still doing its job regardless of how old it is or how you don't want it. It's still doing just what it's supposed to be doing. And it's faithful in the little things whether you're faithful or not. It's going to do what it's supposed to do. And that's such a silly illustration of even your hairs do right. Amen? And I don't want you to grow past, not past feeling, but not past the understanding of what He's put you in and where He's put you and His faithfulness should draw you back right in that line out of that ditch of being comfortable. There's a verse, I, I didn't write it down, well, not on this 15 sheets of paper here that I finally come to the conclusion of. There's a verse over there in Jonah, you, you're familiar with it, how God prepared a gourd, right? He prepared a gourd. And then, you know, the Lord took the gourd away from him. But it says, but God, in that time frame right there in Jonah. And how He removed the comfortable situation from Jonah just so He could see His self plainly one time. Like, I'm going to take this thing of comfort away from you because I want you to see you in your speech, in your actions, in your attitudes, how you're dealing with these people and how you're dealing with me. Because you think I'm wrong for doing it. Amen. Amen. Due to pride or due to uh, ambition, oftentimes we think we should be either in a position more highly than we should be or a position more lowly than we should be. One, because we think we deserve more or one, because we think we deserve less. But ultimately, you are exactly where the Lord wants you to be in the body. Does that make sense? Make sense? So let's move on past that. And don't turn there in Exodus 21, 13. Those cities of refuge, it says, But God, 
But God makes a way. He makes a place to go to. And again, thank, thank the Lord for this church. Thank the Lord that He brings you to a place. Turn to, uh, turn to Judges 15 while I go through this. Uh, in Judges 15, thank God that He builds a church. Not, not necessarily a, a universal body. Thank God for that. But now thank God for a, a local assembly. And as you know, everybody doesn't have a local assembly. Judges 15. Everybody doesn't have a place to go. And thank God, preacher many years ago decided to have an online ministry and, the, and all the trials and the issues and that comes with that aspect of it and all the people that are associated with it. But, but praise the Lord, we get to walk through those doors right there. And we get to come to a building. And praise the Lord, one day we'll get to go to a bigger building where if the Lord, uh, if the Lord sees fit, we'll have a few more people in it. And we'll have a, a little bit more room and we'll have a little bit just... We can have a little bit and a little bit and a little bit because the Lord's been faithful in the little things. Man, I think about that thing. I think about that building over there and the, uh, the few dollars that it's taken to build. Uh, it didn't come out of my banking account. And I don't even say that sarcastically. Uh, there's a number over there on that building that I'd probably spend my whole lifetime and not make. But the Lord was faithful in using people. The Lord was faithful in providing a way when it seemed like there was no way. That's what it seems like every time. Every time. Every time in life and every time you come into church and you're destitute and you're just down and there's just... Man, the pressures of life are on. You get to walk through those doors or sit down and hear if you're not able to make it. And there's some man standing behind a pulpit just lifting up his voice like a trumpet and proclaiming the Lord Jesus Christ and trying to edify, and trying to help, and trying to correct, and trying to guide. You praise the Lord for the little adjustments that are made to be in life. Let me say that again. The little adjustments that are made to be in life. If you, if you drove a normal car here this morning, you know, one that you didn't drive yourself, if you, you know what you had to do to get here? You had to make minor adjustments just to stay out of the ditch. I think I was thinking about that. I was driving, and you know, your hands just just move just a little bit, because I guess my tires aren't straight or round, or they won't stay in one stinking spot. I don't know what the deal is with that thing. Been like that since I was fifteen. You got to make minor ad- adjustments. I don't. You think they could figure that out by now? It just goes straight. The roads are fairly straight until you hit a corner. Just go straight, car. But you have to make minor adjustments to stay in your lane or stay out of the ditch. Does that make sense? And you think about that when you come to church and you're... Man, the tires are running on the rubble on the rubble marks on the side and it's making that loud noise. And you're like, I'm headed to the ditch. I just don't know what to do. Or I'm crossing over and I'm getting out of my lane and I'm getting into somebody else's lane. And you get to come into church and you get to have a man stand behind a pulpit and tell you to make a minor correction through the Holy Spirit. And you make the minor correction as though things in life are just... Okay. And you can see those you can see those warnings of the curves coming up and the red lights and the stops and the forks in the road that you have to take at a left and a right, right, brother? And you can see those things clearly because of the Holy Spirit using a church. And that is a simple illustration, and I hope it makes sense, of those minor corrections just to stay on the right path, to stay on the right track. I'm not sure if you can attest, and you don't necessarily have to. Uh, without those minor corrections, you can wind up in a ditch. 
You know, I don't know if you know this, all ditches aren't the same. There's a whole bunch of different ditches in different states. You know, in Florida, they're, they've just got a lot of water in them. But you go to the ditches in North and South Carolina, you fall off a mountain. And in the Christian life, as you're going through different seasons and times, it's almost like that in different states of your life. It's easier to stay on the path because it doesn't, the, the consequences are not as severe. And when you get a little older, it seems like the consequences are much more severe. People are watching. There's expectations. There are expectations of the older people still fighting the fight until they take their last breath. To a degree, we want the young people to keep going. But those ditches doesn't seem that deep sometimes to an older person because they lived it. I don't know if you've ever drove off in a ditch. They're all deep. And they all require help and time to get out of. And I don't know if you've ever literally been there and the Lord's been faithful to get you out of it. Not of your own, your own power, your own accord, or your own measure, or your own wisdom, and your own might, and your own strength. God Almighty was faithful to see you got out of that thing and back on the road. You just lost some time. Does that make sense? Look in Judges 15. That's not even in the notes. That's just food for thought. In Judges 15, it's going to be a, a great picture, a great illustration of what's going on here in a local assembly. <clears throat> so you have Samson, and Samson, uh, he went and tied the, the firebrands together and sent them through the fields, and it burned all the, burned all the fields down, and the Philistines came to kill him. And, and so then they had 3,000 men of his own brethren come up to him. And they're like, and they said, well, we need to deliver you to the Philistines. And he said, just, just promise me that you won't hurt me. Promise me that my brethren won't hurt me. Well, we're not going to hurt you. We just want you to go away. That's leading up to the church aspect. So they bind him and he goes up, he goes up there in verse 14. And when he came to Lehi and the Philistines shouted against him and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. And the cords that were upon his arms became as flax that were burnt with fire and his bands from off his hands. Verse 15 of chapter 15. And he found a new jawbone of an ass, and put forth his hand, and took it, and slew a thousand men therewith. And Samson said, With the jawbone of an ass, heaps upon heaps, with the jaw of an ass, have I slain a thousand men. And it came to pass, when he had made an end of speaking, that he cast away the jawbone out of his hand, and called that place Ramath-Lehi. And he was sore thirst, and called on the Lord, and said, Thou hast given this great deliverance into the hand of thy servant, and now shall I die for thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised. Amen. Verse 19. But God clave a hollow place that was in that jaw, and there came out water thereout. And when he had drunk, his spirit came again, and he revived. Wherefore he called the name thereof Enhokhor, which is in Lehi unto this day. When the trials and the heartaches and the battles and the strifes of life and it feels like you've been warring, man, all week against the flesh and the world and the devil and you feel like that you could be losing but you, you just made an attempt to make it. You know what the Lord will use? He'll just use the jawbone of an ass. And you say, well, I don't know. Well, that's just a servant. 
That's just an animal that's willing to be used to do whatever is necessary by the master. And you think about that thing, how this how the Lord used this hollow place and this jawbone of this ass to revive him. And that's what church and assemblance should be. It should encourage you. And it should encourage you, one, to fight the good fight of faith. It should encourage you that this world is not your home. It should encourage you that you're headed to see a judgment seat, what the Lord Jesus Christ is, and to know that He could reward you because He's faithful in doing so. And you know that He could be revived and understood that the pains of this life and the problems and the heartaches that are always associated with it, praise the Lord, won't be forever. And you can be encouraged that when you lose a loved one, that there is help and there's hope and there's comfort. There's comfort in these words. And a man could stand there and just as cold waters to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. You know what a preacher, I can just see it in my mind. He just takes, you know, preacher makes a comment about going and washing the feet. I need to go over here, I haven't been over here. Uh, he needs to take that pot and he goes and washes the feet. Uh, but also see how, how Elisha just took that water pot and just went along and poured, poured that water out in those hands of all the people, and just poured it out. You know, we always talk about coming to, coming and eating at church, right? Praise the Lord for some good spiritual food. But oftentimes, you need a cool drink of water to wash it down. I like how, have you ever been to a really nice restaurant? Three of you have, amen. Well, borrow their money and go to one. You know, and they, they bring out all these multiple courses of meals, right? Well, trust me, they do. It's what I've been told. They bring out all these multiple courses of meals, you know, and you got the salad and you got... Actually, I don't know what comes after the salad. It's always what I want to eat. And, but, you have, but they're not massive amounts of, pro, of, uh, of portion size. Have you ever noticed the more expensive something is, the less you get to eat? Anyway. Anyway. And, but, but with that understanding, when you come to church, when you come to church, it should be your proper portion size of what you need. The Lord always gives you what you need, regardless of what you think you need. I, I think about it. Obviously, you know, you could you could be full up on the world, and you could sit at Jezebel's table all week, and you could get full up on the world and full up on that stuff. When you come in here just out of duty or repetition, you could come in here and not get anything. Or you could come in here with a clean plate and just say, Lord, I just, I need something. I mean, I don't know if I need steak and potatoes. I don't know if I need steak and potatoes or just steak. I just don't know. I don't know what I need. Please don't let it be Brussels sprouts. I know what I need. I think I know what I need, Lord. But I'm, I'm trusting You to just give me something what I need. And invariably, he always... I don't know if you've ever been to a restaurant where they didn't give you something to drink. Have you ever, What a weird place. Now, they might not come back and fill it up. They might forget about you. But eventually, to begin with, they give you something to drink. And praise the Lord for a good waiter or waitress and constantly keeps that glass full. And that's what preaching does. It constantly keeps that glass full. 
in that cool water of living water that it can just flow like rivers out of your belly. And it can constantly do something for you. I'll be honest with you, when we go and have the Jubilee or have these different meetings, and, and so the, the flesh gets so tired of going and going and going. Nobody else knows what I'm talking about, but of getting up and going to church and then making yourself sit there. And, but once you start sitting there, it's great. But making yourself sit there and hear preaching and hear preaching and praise the Lord, try to stay awake through that one guy and you hear preaching and you hear preaching and it's constantly that glass of water. They're making sure it's full whether you're drinking it or not because it's that good news from that far country. And that's what church is supposed to be. Church is a moment of a but God. And you don't see how there's any help of you getting through a situation because you become dry and thirsty. And I'm not going to try to re-preach some of preacher's sermons, but you get dry and thirsty in that, that barren land. And you come to church and thank God for a cool drink of water. Amen. And then throughout the day, praise the Lord for Sunday school and the worship service and Sunday night service. You know what it's constantly doing as you're drinking and trying to chug it down because you're thirsty? It's constantly just filling it back up. Just filling it back up. And before you leave, He's just filling it back up. So you can just stay hydrated and revived out that dry and barren land. You know what constitutes a desert? I always thought that it was just dry. You know, like the Sahara Desert, the Mojave Desert, or it's just a desert, just sands. But there's deserts up in Alaska. And they're full of trees. I was like, that makes no sense. But they just said it's barren of water. has no water. That's what makes a desert. There's just no water. I said, well, the trees look alive. They said it's because of the snow when it melts and that's the only water they get. Now, how would you be without God's faithfulness of Him always giving you that drink? And all you had to do was just deal with one time a year taking a drink. You die of dehydration spiritually. When people act out of character, even when they come into church and they act whacked out, amen. That's a good place to act whacked out. Then they come in and they act different. It's probably just because they just need a drink of water. Wait till that afternoon and talk to them again. See if something's changed spiritually. Amen. So you see God's faithfulness in salvation and you see God's faithfulness... You see God's faithfulness in making you a member of something. You see God's faithfulness in giving you a church to go to. Praise the Lord. Look in Genesis. Look in Genesis 39. In Genesis 39, we're going to see God's faithfulness not only in making something not for salvation, not making you a member, not giving you a body. But this one's going to be a more present, a more present tense. In Genesis 39, I'm not exactly sure how the Lord's going to work this out yet of presentation aspect. In, just, in Genesis 39, we start talking, it starts giving the account of Joseph and all the issues he goes with. You don't have to turn there. In Acts chapter 7, in Acts chapter 7, it talks about how uh, Joseph, the patriarchs, gave over Joseph, and it said, but God was with him. 
And I think about that time, I think about it in Genesis here, when, when everything in Joseph's life was right. I know everybody has a different background, but if you can just imagine, uh, it's you and a whole bunch of brothers, so it was never quiet. Thank God he didn't have any sisters. I don't know what that's... It was definitely not quiet. And he was there, and there was always just a commotion going on. There's always just things happening and, and working and trying to please the Father and doing the things as you would as you were raised up. And you think, I'll think about that, of life in a child's eyes in a situation like that would just seem perfect. Right? I mean, looking back on my childhood... It wasn't the best, but it wasn't the worst, but it was just right. I mean, I, I never, uh, my dad always supplied the things I needed. Whether that be a whipping or correction or working the snot out of me or whatever it is, free labor, amen? Whatever it is, it was okay because I wasn't in, I wasn't in worldly trouble. So I can view Joseph thinking that life was perfect. I think people, young people sometimes they grow up in a, in, a, in a very secluded, Christian, sheltered home and thank God for it. And they have a skewed view, thank God, because they're simple concerning evil. And praise the Lord, they don't have the opportunity to have all the, the weight of the world placed upon their shoulders already. And so, to me, it's a reminder. It shows right here where Joseph was at that everything was okay. Everything was okay in the world. If you just got married and you know you got a spouse and everything's just okay in the world. But time's coming, right? Things are coming. And what is amazing is how Joseph's brethren are the ones that did him harm. Not an external force. Not somebody out in the world came and broke into his house and stole him away. That'd be a whole different story. Not, not they were just working outside one day and the Midianites came and took him away. But his own brethren tossed him aside. Threw him into a pit one day. Now friend, you'll have to be careful that you don't have such a guard up that you won't let people affect you in your life. Because as you grow older, you won't, you'll let less and less people into your life because of pains and what they can do to you. And you'll have a guard up and a wall up and you won't, you won't allow people to be as close as they used to be. Because I don't want to be hurt again. Amen. And we see Joseph in, those, in that aspect of his life you know what happened? What never happened to Joseph? That never happened to Joseph. He was always willing to get hurt for somebody else. You can't look at it. You can't look at it where he didn't have the right attitude, where he didn't have the right motive, where he didn't have anything correct what he was going through. But yet he was going through it. Here, I'll prove it to you. Here in, in Genesis 39, Genesis 39, look in verse 1. It says, And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, so his brethren have sold him, stripped him of his coat, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, brought him out of the hands of the Ishmaelites, uh, which had brought him down thither. So you, he came up to Potiphar's house in verse 2, and the Lord was with Joseph. Now do you think Joseph thought the Lord was with him? Do you think when he got thrown into the pit, 
I am in the perfect will of God today. Well, that was the disciples' problem rowing in the ship, and the ship was full with water, and they thought they were going to sink. But little did they know they were in the perfect will of God. Here, here in verse, here in chapter 39 of Genesis, you don't, I don't even see where it's written. I'm sure it would have happened that, that Joseph is asking God what's going on, asking him, you know, you gave me a promise, you showed me what was going to happen, you showed me that these dreams and I related it to my family, you showed me all these things and now nothing but heartache since that point has came along. But it says, but the Lord was with him in verse 3. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hands. Verse 6. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. Now now get that for a second. Potiphar gave everything to Joseph's hand. And it won't be much longer, six more verses, and Joseph leaves everything in Potiphar's wife's hands. When he tries to run away and he tries to... He tries to keep his character and lose his coat, but ultimately his character assassination happens and follows. All the things in life are going well again in verse 6. You agree with that? I mean, the Lord is with him. All he's prospering. Not only is he prospering, not only is he having things happen to him, then Potiphar sees it and he, he allows him to come into his house because he wants that blessing of God also. And everything's fine. Everything's good. And the bottom falls out one more time. Isn't that the Christian life? That's what it feels like. Man, everything's great. Everything's good. Everything's just right as it's supposed to be. And you get to the top of that peak. And it's a roller coaster ride to the bottom. But the Lord was with him. You find God's faithfulness in every aspect of Joseph's life. Even though Joseph couldn't see it. That's encouraging and frightening at the same time. It's encouraging knowing that a child of God that's blood washed and born again has the faithfulness of God on their side if they're right where the Lord wants you to be. Regardless of where that's at. Do you see that? In verse 12 of chapter 39, Joseph loses it all again. Not exactly sure how he thought that was going to transpire, how he thought that moment was going to be. He he did right uh, in verse twelve. He didn't do right in verse eleven, but he did right in verse twelve. He handled it correctly, but I'm not sure how he thought it was going to work out. In my in my little mind, I would assume he would probably go and be like a Daniel or a Nehemiah and find a corner somewhere and just start asking God to help. And then what happens is he's cast into a prison. From a pit to a prison, you know the account. And he's in that prison, but look in verse 21 of Genesis 39. Genesis 39, 21, but the Lord was with Joseph. Well, he was with Joseph in that pit, And he was with Joseph at Potiphar's house, and he was with Joseph in that prison. And it goes on, 
It goes on in the, in the keeper of the prisoner. We won't read it in verse 22 and 23. Saul that the hand of God and the Lord was with Joseph. And so he started putting him over things in the prison. I don't think I want to be over things in the prison. Like just get me out of the prison and make me over something and we'd be okay. And you say, no, that's not where the, the Lord would have him. Matter of fact, we, for, for, for time, we won't look at it in chapter 40. In chapter, in chapter 40, verse 7, he, Joseph even asks the butler and the baker when they come in there, why, why do you look so sad? Well, I'm in prison with you, the cheerful guy. And we're in prison. And so my countenance is going to be falling today. You go over there. That's how it would feel. Like you just go away. I don't want you to smile near me today. And so he goes and they talk about these dreams and different aspects that they're there. But I find that amazing of how the countenance of Joseph is different than the others because of God's faithfulness in that time. And the outlook. You say, do you think he was going to get out of there? Did he know that he was going to get out? That doesn't say that. Matter of fact, when he, when he interprets the dream for the butler, he asks the butler, hey, now when you go to Pharaoh, you tell him, I'm down here. Isn't that how we feel? Isn't that how you feel? Hey, if you can pray for me, just remind the Lord where I'm at. Like He's forgot. Like He doesn't know what you're going through. Like He doesn't know the pain and the tears that you feel at night. And you think that you may be all alone. That nobody else is going through it. But God knows. You say, well, I just can't see His hand. I can't see how this is going to work out for His good. Yeah, but God can see it. You know that shepherd's point of view? That shepherd's point of view, he can see over the next mountaintop and it's just homes right over that next hill. But the sheep can't see that far off. They just see the battles and the rocks and the stumbling issues that they're dealing with and the the grass and the situation is not perfect. It's not always pleasing. But the shepherd looks off afar and he said, if we, we're just going right over that next hill. If you'll just keep pressing toward the mark, it's just right there. It's just right there. And the Lord was faithful with him. The Lord was faithful with and providing Joseph away. And you know, it was over two years. It was over two years before the butler ever spoke up for Joseph. Now, I don't know about you. I've preached in a few jails. I had to make sure I said that correctly. I've preached in a few jails and prisons, and when they hear that clang, you're like, well, this could be a long night. <laughs> a few times it was, but nonetheless, thank God I was able to get out. But the expectation of something happening immediately, after the first few days, that expectation wanes and it could turned to bitterness and frustration when over two years pass. And he's like, Lord, I'm doing what you want me to do. Nothing is working out right. Nothing. I'm still stuck in the same place, the same God-awful place you've had me in, and nothing's working right. Now listen, everywhere he goes, he's helping other people. He helped the person 
You don't have to turn there to it. You don't turn there to it. I'm going to make sure I say it correctly. He helped uh, over in uh, chapter 39. He, was a, he helped that, uh, that person there in Potiphar's house. He helped the guard there. He helped Potiphar. He helped uh, the, bu- the butler and the baker. He helped them. He helped them. He helped them by doing right. He was getting watered, and he didn't even know he needed it when he was watering somebody else. The Lord was giving him wisdom to give someone else, but he couldn't see past his own problems. You say, what is that? That's the perfect mark of a minister. Willing to impart something regardless of any reaper reciprocation from the Lord. Lord, I need something. You, you need something? Alright, I'm going to send Brother Mitch, and he needs you to... He needs you to talk to him. And I'm going to give you the wisdom to talk to him. To encourage him. And you're going to give him exactly what he needs. And we're on the right path. Okay. It happens. Well, now what? You did exactly what I needed you to do. No, I need out of here. I need out of this place. I need out of this position. I need out of all this circumstance that I'm in because I can't bear it. Well, I'm, I'm with you. Is my grace not sufficient for you? The comfortable things have passed, son. Let's, this is where you're going to be for a little while. But you can't show me a verse in the New Testament nor the Old where God ever promised that He would take him out of that prison. But yet He was still doing right. Even when they brought him up out of the prison to Pharaoh, it doesn't say that he was... He was jubileeing and skipping and shouting and snapping his fingers and, right, what a sunny day this is going to be. No, he just went, shaved, changed his garments, stood before Pharaoh, answered Pharaoh's question how God gave him the increase to do. Gave him the wisdom, gave him the understanding, gave him everything he needed to answer. And then I'm thinking in his mind, he was like, all right, I know what happened last time. I just get to go back. I get to go back in the same prison. Man, I got to wear some different clothes for a little while. I got to have a good shave. I got to take a bath. I got to just do something for you one more time, Lord. Okay. Let's go do it. And he got there, and you know what transpired, and he gave Pharaoh everything he ever asked as far as interpretation. And then the most miraculous thing happened. Pharaoh promoted him in that position. And I can only imagine the awestruckness of, of how Joseph was feeling. I, I, can't, I can only imagine. It would almost be like you down here and then the judgment seat of Christ happens. And the Lord just backing up that dump truck because of His faithfulness to you in turn calls your faithfulness to Him. And that overwhelming feeling of humbleness and undeservingness here with Joseph. But yet, you know what he did? He he didn't say no. He didn't say no. And when when his brethren came, you can turn to Genesis 50. When his brethren came, you could see a twinge of maybe some things he had in his heart. Because it's been a few years. But the Lord was faithful. 
God was faithful in doing what He said He was going to do on God's time frame. See, I guess that's where the problem is. We think God's not, we think God's not faithful because it didn't fit our time frame. But in Genesis 50, you see how... In Genesis 50 and verse 20, you see Joseph's final... His final words on how he actually viewed things. Genesis 50, 20. And we're talking from the pit to Potiphar's to the prison all the way to the palace. You see how eventually... Because, you know, in hindsight, 50-50 or 20-20, depending if you got glasses. You can always view it different from the point of experience in time. You can always look back and you can see the Lord's hand in a certain situation even though your own pain blinded you to it at the time. In Genesis 50 verse 20 says, But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God, praise the Lord, but God meant it unto me to good, to bring it to pass in that day to save much people alive. And you say, well, I don't see how the Lord's doing anything like that in my life. Yeah, but God does. You know, you don't always have to see it. You just have to know that He's faithful in doing something. And those two words could change your view of things. But God knows. Like, I can't see a way out. Yeah, but God knows. He'll make a way. He's already made a way. Maybe time just hasn't caught up to where you need to exit at. I just don't know how all this is going to work for my good. I can't, I can't explain how this is going to work out. No, but God can explain it. But the problem is, He won't always tell you. Because that's where faith steps in. Faith steps in by loving Him more and loving Him more based on His faithfulness and His faithfulness and His faithfulness regardless of your lack of faithfulness. And in due time, that faithfulness will get to see Him face to face. In that time, all the problems and the things of life that have weighed you down and maybe even the weights or sins that have kept you from running so like He wanted you to run, the regret would be real. The bitterness that you couldn't just lay down because of the circumstance of people. And you think about how people have hurt you, but didn't people hurt the Lord Jesus Christ? Man, I drove the nail in His hand. And he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. They don't know. They don't know. For God was faithful to give him enough strength. <clears throat> enough strength for the moment. Friend, uh, I don't know if you know this, but the Lord's faithful. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or make any kind of significant anything. 